Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing today? Good. Well, I am thrilled and honored to have this opportunity to share with you as we continue in our awesome series. Well, I know something that is true about every person in this room today. No matter who you are, you can't deny that this one thing is true about you. Everyone who's here today has a mom. And I'm going to talk about some things today that can help you in your relationship with your mom or as a mom or really in any of your family relations. As we talk today about awesome families. But even though everyone in the room today has a mom, I know that this holiday can be painful or difficult for some of you. Maybe you recently lost your mom or uh, you know the pain of losing a child. It could be that a struggle with infertility or miscarriage has made your dream of being a parent unattainable. But I want you to know as we talk about awesome families today that this church is your family. And when one member of River Glen is hurting, we all hurt with you. And that's why we intentionally honor all women today. We believe that the nurturing instinct of women at River Glen is something to celebrate. So we invite all women to participate in the free chocolate and flowers out in the lobby today. But if you need a little bit of extra prayer today because this holiday is difficult for you, I want you to know that I've um, asked some volunteers from the Stephen Ministry to be available out in the lobby to pray with you. So later on in the service, after we take communion, if you want someone to pray with you, just slip out to the lobby and someone will be there to meet you and talk to you and pray for you. Well, as we continue in our awesome series today, I want to ask everyone a question here. By a show of hands, raise your hand if you think your family is awesome. Right, yeah, me too. I think it's really great when we're talking to other people and we can say, my family is awesome, we are so great, and we love to tell stories from our childhood about the awesome times that we had. Sometimes the problem comes in when someone who is actually in our family hears us tell those stories and there's nothing like your kids or your siblings to call you out on a slight exaggeration of your awesome family story. I think sometimes the people that actually lived with us remember things as a little less than awesome. Well, I grew up near here in New Berlin, and I am one of seven kids. And so my family growing up, like most of your families, I'm sure, was a mixture of awesome and dysfunction. My mom stayed home with us. She volunteered at our school. She supported us in our activities. She's a great cook, a really organized person. Um, she is a woman of faith, and she continually prays for her kids and her grandkids. I really love my mom. And growing up with six siblings, there was always someone to play with, um, but it definitely taught me to look out for number one, because if you didn't push your way in for things like food or the best chair in the family room, it was too bad, so sad. But there was also dysfunction in my family. There was alcohol abuse in my family, and one of my siblings had some pretty serious anger issues that resulted in some violent behaviors. So the other thing I learned along the way was that if I wanted to feel safe, or even be safe, that it was up to me to take care of myself. Well, thankfully, I started a relationship with Jesus when I was a teenager, and my faith gave me a strong sense of security. But I know that I entered my marriage and my current family situation with the attitude that I needed to take care of myself. I've been married to my husband, Steve, for 24 years this summer, and we have three daughters, and being a wife and a mom has taught me so many things. I've said many times that you don't realize how set in your ways you are until you get married and have to live with someone else, 
But what I soon realized is that with every child you add to the mix, that desire to be set in your ways just gets magnified. My family can tell you that I love to have things go my way. I like to call it being organized. <laughs> just a few weeks ago, my daughter Molly was emptying the dishwasher and she was putting the glasses away in the upper kitchen cabinet and she was just randomly putting them wherever they would fit. And I kind of reached around her so that the tall ones could go on one side and the small ones could go in the middle and the ones with the wider opening would go on the right. And I didn't even realize that I was completely redoing the job for her until she was like, Mom, stop it. It doesn't matter. And all I could say was, I like it this way. I want you to do it my way. So my current family is also a mixture of awesome and dysfunction. And my kids and my husband mostly laugh about it, but I know that my tendency in relationships in my immediate family, in my extended family, and even in my church family is to push for things to go my way. And a my way attitude really comes down to a selfish heart. And I definitely have a selfish heart. And as I was studying what the Bible has to say about relationships, I realized that probably most of us struggle with a selfish heart. We all have a tendency towards a me first or my way attitude, and the Bible calls that selfishness. And when selfishness has its way, relationships are less awesome and more dysfunctional. Me first doesn't really work in relationships, and when we have a me first mindset in our families, it makes it harder for us to become an awesome family. But what if we didn't have to let me first be our natural response? What if there was something we could start doing today, something that we could adopt inside our immediate families, with our extended families, with our church family, that could change the dynamics so much that it could only be described as awesome? What if there was a way to change from our natural tendency to say, what about me, or this is what I want, to something completely different? Well, so often, I don't like my natural reaction, my default. I don't like that with my family, it's normal for me to be selfish, to think I want things my way. But the good news is that selfishness doesn't have to be our natural response. The Bible teaches solid principles from turning our natural selfish tendencies into something supernatural that can result in better relationships and awesome families. And the passage I want to focus on today is found in the New Testament book of Philippians. And it was written by the Apostle Paul. But before we get to that passage, I want to tell you a little bit about Paul. Now, Paul wasn't one of the original followers of Jesus. In fact, Paul wasn't even his only name. Before his encounter with Jesus, Paul was also called Saul. And following the resurrection, Jesus' followers were spreading the news of his death and resurrection, and Saul was a Jewish religious leader who was working hard to silence Jesus' followers. Saul wanted to stop the message that Jesus was the Son of God because he thought his way of thinking was the right way and that Jesus' followers were spreading a lie. Saul didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, so he was very upset about a movement that was proclaiming Jesus as the Son of God who had resurrected from the dead. But God had a huge plan for Saul. And while Saul was working to eliminate Jesus' followers, he himself had a personal encounter with Jesus. While he was all by himself walking down a road, Jesus appeared to Saul in a supernatural way and revealed the truth to him about the resurrection. We read about it in Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 5. It says this, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, he replied. 
And this encounter was so powerful that Saul completely changed his message about Jesus. And later on in chapter 9 and verse 20, it says, At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Saul let go of his natural inclination to be right and to have his way, and he dedicated the rest of his life to sharing, telling people the truth about Jesus. I think Paul's life is evidence that when someone has, meets Jesus in a personal way, they can completely change from a me-focused mindset. And that's what he writes about in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 3. Let's read that passage together. Philippians 2, 3 and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, and here's the main idea, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. This passage is really about mutual submission. Mutual submission is the idea that each of us does whatever we can to put the interests of someone else before ourselves, to move from a me-first mindset to a you-first mindset. It's the idea that if I put you first and you put me first, unity will result. In mutual submission, we make a choice to put someone else first, even if we think they don't deserve it or they might not reciprocate. I think mutual submission is a very powerful relational dynamic because it's the opposite of selfishness, and it makes the other person feel valued and loved. When my two older girls were little, there was a lot of arguing about, you know, who got to choose the movie or who got to go in the swing first or who got to push the button at the elevator. I'm sure this is sounding familiar to some of you. But I remember I used to stop them and I would say, girls, we're not going to do anything until one of you says, my sister can go first. And then it was actually kind of comical as they would stare each other down and then the negotiating would begin where one of them would say, you say it. And the other one would go, no, you say it. And I remember one time, my very clever middle child turned to her sister and said, if you say it this time, I promise I'll say it next time. <laughs> the point is that wanting our own way is a natural response. Me first is natural. Selfishness is really the original, original sin. We see it all the way back in Genesis 3, and when the serpent was trying to convince Eve to eat the fruit of the tree that God had forbidden her and Adam to eat from. In Genesis 3.5, it says, the serpent told her, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent says you'll be like God and Eve thinks I can be God, I can be number one. And so she eats the fruit and then she gives some to Adam. Eve put herself and her desires first, even though she'd been told not to eat and selfishness won. And that's the same attitude that Paul is talking about in Philippians 2. Let's go back to that passage and break it down a little bit. So verse 3 starts with the phrase, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So let's start with that word nothing. The idea of doing nothing sets up a huge standard. Nothing you do, not one attitude, not one action, not one thing. That's a pretty huge standard. I mean, think about it. Most of us feel pretty good when we do anything for someone else. Generally, we're patting ourselves on the back, and I would include myself in this, when we concede and let somebody else have their own way. So doing nothing out of selfishness is a huge standard. It's an ongoing challenge to not do anything, to do nothing from a self-serving standpoint or a me-first mindset. Sure, we all get it right some of the time, and I think we probably all know people that regularly put others first, but more often than I want to admit, and maybe you've experienced this too, inside I'm thinking to myself, what about me? Even when I'm actively putting someone else first, sometimes my attitude inside is the exact opposite. 
So doing nothing out of selfish ambition is really hard. So let's break down that phrase, selfish ambition. What does that really mean? Well, I've heard it said that selfish ambition is rivalry or the need to win. Ben talked about it a little in week one of his series, of this series on awesome marriage, about how in a marriage, we can't have an attitude that it's my win that matters, but we need to be looking for the team win. And I think just like two spouses need to look for the team win among the two of them, a family needs to look for one win among all of them. Doing nothing out of selfish ambition means we're looking for the family win. In a family, no one person should assume the attitude of, I want it my way or I have to win. And when we go against that natural desire for selfish ambition, we're fighting that, we're fighting that me first mindset. So here's what I want you to remember today, and I put this on your outline because it's so important. Me first is natural, but you first is supernatural. And you first individuals make awesome family members. I have a friend who's a great example of this you-first or family-first mindset. Over the years, we've gone camping um, in the summer with some good friends of ours from our small group, and I have watched my friend Kelly put other people first in her family over and over again on that camping trip. She'd be the first one up in the morning so her family could sleep in. She always brought everyone's favorite foods on the camping trip down to the exact brand name of the condiments that they loved on their sandwiches. She would remember what each person loved to do on a camping trip, and then she would make sure that that thing happened. The great thing about watching Kelly serve her family is that she was genuinely happy to do so. She was looking for the family to win. So let's look at the next phrase in verse 2. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So what's the difference? Well, selfish ambition is about the need to win, and vain conceit is about saving face. It's about keeping up appearances or putting on airs. When we give in to vain conceit, we are elevating ourselves. In the context of the family, this is the attitude that makes it hard to admit that we're wrong to those around us. It's one of the trickiest places, I think, to practice mutual submission because it's the place where we have to humble ourselves and let someone else in our family be right. And when I was a kid, my siblings and I used to play these long, elaborate games that involved a lot of competition. And often the teams were divided with my two older brothers on one team and everybody else on the other team. And every once in a while, the younger kid team would maybe gain the edge in a competition and it looked like we were going to win. And so in order to save face, my two older brothers would immediately create a rule, a new rule that would ensure their victory. And in the spirit of older brothers everywhere, they, of course, would insist that that rule had always existed. <laughs> So when we put selfish ambition and vain conceit together inside a family, and they're present in all of our families, it makes it really hard to say you first. Giving in to our need to win and our elevated self-importance results in me-first family members. Whether it's our family of origin, now that we're adults, or our current immediate family as moms, dads, and siblings, selfish ambition and vain conceit really fuel the me-first mindset. Because me-first is natural, but you first is supernatural, and you first individuals make awesome family members. Well, let's look at the last part of verses three and four. After the word rather, you're going to see the antidote, kind of the solution to selfish ambition and vain conceit. It says, rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Paul highlights the contrast here. Me first is selfish ambition and vain conceit. You first 
is humility and mutual submission. I know that you first is supernatural because in order to value others above ourselves, Paul says it requires humility. 20th century theologian C.S. Lewis said this, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. I think C.S. Lewis had it right. When we humble ourselves, we aren't elevating ourselves or trying to win, but we're loving our families through mutual submission. Sounds pretty straightforward, right? Just humbly think of yourself less often, put the interests of others above yourself. Should be easy, right? Well, I know it's not easy for me. Verse 4 tells us that a you-first mindset means not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And we're challenged to embrace an attitude that embodies phrases like, what can I do for you? Or, you are no less valuable than me. Or, I'm here for you. This is supernatural stuff, and I think we need supernatural help to put it into practice. Remember, me first is natural, but you first is supernatural. And you first individuals make awesome family members. Because that you first mindset isn't natural, when it happens, it is awesome. As a mom, and I would include dads in this as well, um, when we choose to have children, and if you don't have children yet, just imagine your own mom or dad, but when we choose to bring a child into the family, we're pretty much required to put the interests of someone else above ourselves. I mean, you saw all those little ones up here earlier. If you hold a little baby in your arms, you know that they have a whole lot of interests that they simply can't do for themselves, and it requires someone else to humble themselves and put that little one first. Moms and dads and grandparents and siblings and caretakers, they do this for young children every day. And it is an awesome thing. But if I'm honest, as a mom, I am waiting for the day when that child can do things for themselves. My oldest daughter, Molly, was little. She had a hard time sleeping um, through the night. And well into her grade school years, she would get up in the middle of the night and she wouldn't be able to fall back to sleep, so she would come into our room. And I remember I would hear her get up, but I would lay there really still with my eyes closed, and she would come right up into our room and stand right next to our bed, and I could feel her little breath on my face as she'd stand like two inches from me. And I would say, don't open your eyes, because I knew if I didn't open my eyes, she would walk around the other side of the bed, and she would breathe on Steve, and he would always get up and put her back in her bed. <laughs> it was great. But in the middle of the night... I was not, I couldn't wait for Molly to be able to take care of herself. And I wasn't putting anyone's interests above my own interest in sleep. As parents, we're responsible to take care of our children, put them first, but we want them to grow up to be independent Christ followers. And when we model mutual submission and a you-first mindset in our families, we're really partnering with God to instill a character trait that is both loving and supernatural. When I was studying this passage, I discovered that in the original language that this part of the Bible is written in, which is the Greek language, that the word interest isn't actually there. It's kind of like a filler word that was added in by the translators. So the original text leaves a little bit of an openness here. It's almost like a blank that you could fill in. It would look something like this, not looking to your own blank, but also to the blank of others. So within the context of families, it could be something like, not looking to your own time alone, or not looking to your own vacation dream, or not looking to your own preferred household chore, or favorite chair, or beloved holiday tradition, but also what to what the other members of your family are interested in or prefer. 
This is tough stuff for sure, so take a moment with me to imagine what it might look like in our families if we put this teaching into practice and took it to heart with those closest to us, those we live with or call family. Imagine if we considered the interests of our grown siblings. They may want to spend time with us on a holiday, but they're managing relationships with in-laws or maybe step-families. And so we choose to humble ourselves and submit our own desire to have the holiday celebration a certain way so that everyone can participate. Teenagers, I know there is a lot of pressure on you to put a me-first attitude in place to um, really celebrate your own personal accomplishments in school or sports or clubs or even your friendships. But imagine if the teenagers in our families would adopt intentionally a you-first mindset and they would choose of all the ways they could spend their time to have dinner with their families or to participate in a family game night or to spend time with a younger brother or sister. I mentioned earlier that there was alcohol abuse in my family. My mom struggled as an alcoholic for most of my childhood, and she tried several times to break the cycle of addiction, and I could tell that she hated the way that alcohol had become the most important thing in her day. And it felt to my brothers and sisters and I that she only cared about herself when she drank. But my mom, she made a life-changing you-first decision on the day that she checked herself into rehab and started her sobriety. That you-first decision that she made for all of us changed the trajectory of my family forever. Awesome families don't happen by accident. We have to be intentional about putting this teaching into practice. Our natural inclination is me first, but Paul is calling us to a you-first mindset in this passage. You-first could be the mission statement of awesome families because me-first is natural, but you-first is supernatural and you first individuals make awesome family members. So let's summarize some practical ways that we can adopt this you first mindset in our families. You know, when it comes to mutual submission, I think we can start with our priorities and our resources as areas where we can submit to the interests of others. Think about all the things that are important to you. Your job, your hobbies, your friendships, your free time, how the glasses are arranged in the upper kitchen cabinet. Okay, maybe that's just me. But seriously, we all need to examine things in our families like our schedules or our money or our vacation or our chores. And when we approach family decisions about our priorities and our resources with the you-first mindset rather than me-first, we can diffuse the emotions that start to take over. We can approach decisions with the family win in mind. We don't have to try to elevate ourselves or manipulate things to have it our own way, but we can consider our priorities and resources with humility. Asking what's best for the other people here, God, or fill me with a spirit of you first, because me first is natural, but you first is supernatural, and you first individuals make awesome family members. Well, I keep saying that you first is supernatural, so how do we harness that supernatural power so that we can live out a you first mindset? Well, I think we have to look to the example of Jesus because he modeled submission for us. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says this about Jesus. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the rest of the passage in Philippians 2 tells us about how Jesus showed the ultimate example of putting others first. In verses 5 through 8, it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, 
who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself, and he made the ultimate you-first decision by becoming obedient to death on a cross. Jesus' example shows us how to live you first. The only way to resist the natural tendency of me first and replace it with a supernatural mindset of you first is to submit to Jesus as our Savior and to ask him to help us. Jesus told his followers in the Gospel of John, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus wants us to ask him for help. With Jesus' help, we can act in a way that goes against our natural selfish tendencies in relationships, especially our family relationships, and gives us and our families a chance to be awesome. As we move into our time of communion today, I want to give you the opportunity to make a commitment to God and to your family to adopt a you-first mindset. Maybe you need to start by surrendering yourself to Jesus so that you have access to that supernatural power of his spirit in your life. When we surrender our lives to Jesus and begin a relationship with him, the Bible says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to all of us who believe. As you eat the bread and drink the juice today, ask Jesus to fill you with that power, to value others above yourselves, to help you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let's pray to be intentional as a church in moving away from that natural me-first mindset to a supernatural you-first mindset and ask God to empower us to be awesome family members. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this teaching in Philippians. Thank you for challenging us to submit first to you, God, and then to one another. Help us, Lord, to choose to put the interests of others first in our families. Jesus, I pray specifically today that if there is anyone here who has not surrendered their heart to you, Jesus, and made a decision to follow you, that you would draw them in today with your spirit so that they can start a relationship with you and have access to that supernatural power to choose a you-first mindset. Help us in all of our family relationships to make decisions that are you first and help the families here at River Glen to prioritize the family win through mutual submission. And for all the women here today, Jesus, I pray that they would feel honored and loved by their River Glen family. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.